Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lungwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe fires his deputy, a DRC sets elections for December 2018, and Botswana's President Ian Kama delivers his final State of a Nation address. In economics news, UK's Aldermore agrees $1.3 billion takeover by First Rand. And in sports news, South Africa hit by injuries ahead of the FIFA World Cup qualifier. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF Women's League and the Youth League are pressing ahead for First Lady Grace Mugabe to be appointed Vice President now that Emerson Mnangagwa has been fired from the position. The widely expected move comes after Mugabe strongly criticized Mnangagwa at the weekend. The First Lady has been positioning herself as a possible successor to a 93-year-old husband. Zimbabwe's Information Minister Simon Moyo announced Mnangagwa's axing. His Excellency the President, Comrade Araji Mugabe, has exercised his powers to relieve Honorable Vice President Edim Nangagwa of his position as Vice President of the Republic of Zimbabwe with immediate effect. It had become evident that his conduct in the discharge of his duties had become inconsistent <clears throat> with his official responsibilities. Botswana has reaffirmed its support for the International Criminal Court. Botswana's President Ian Hama delivered his last State of the Nation address in the capital, Habrone, giving his country, saying his country remains determined to participate on international issues and through the African Union, SADC, and United Nations guidelines to assist where there is a need for humanitarian support. Hama will hand over the presidency to his second in command in March next year. It's tradition in the landlocked country that president of the state gives his deputy the reins a year before the general elections, Hama explains. I wish to reject Botswana's strong support for the International Criminal Court which is the only permanent criminal international court of last resort 
that plays a deterrent role in preventing the commission of genocide, war crimes and general crimes against humanity. In order to demonstrate um, our unequivocal support for the work of the ICC, Botswana recently undertook a significant step by domesticating the Rome Statute and thus making it part of our national laws. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa says his comments at the weekend were not meant to prescribe for the ruling ANC branches which candidates to nominate for the party's elective positions. Addressing a rally at the weekend, Ramaphosa announced his preferred top six, including National Executive Committee member Naledi Pando as his preferred candidate for ANC Deputy President. This has angered the ANC, which issued a statement reiterating the so-called slate politics are outlawed as they undermine the branch's right to nominate their preferred candidates. But Ramaphosa says his views are reflective of what the branches are saying and not what he wants. At least 61 people have been confirmed dead in Vietnam from typhoon downpours and floods causing havoc along the south-central coast. 20 people are said to be missing. Typhoon Dam Ray struck just before Vietnam was set to host the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation meetings in Da Nang, which will bring together U.S. President Donald Trump, China's Xi Jinping and Russia's Vladimir Putin, among other leaders. Authorities say rivers were raging as reservoirs filled up to near capacity in central and southern provinces with rain still pelting some areas. And finally, the Saudi-led military coalition says it has closed all neighboring Yemen's air, land and sea borders. This is in response to a missile attack on Saudi Arabia that was launched by the Houthi rebel movement in Yemen. The BBC's Alan Johnson reports. The Saudis support Yemen's government in its war with the Houthis and the confrontation escalated on Saturday when the rebels fired a missile at the Saudi capital, Riyadh. The Saudis say the weapon was supplied by Iran and that this may constitute an Iranian act of war. The Saudi-led coalition says its temporary closure of Yemen's frontiers is a move to prevent the rebels smuggling in more arms. However, it says humanitarian supplies will be allowed through. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, and it is... Uh 8.07 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live on this Tuesday, November the 7th, the 311th day of 2017, with 54 days left in the year. In our top story, the Democratic Republic of Congo announced on Sunday that much-delayed elections to replace President Joseph Kabila would take place in December 2018, but the opposition demanded the long-time leader step down sooner. Elections were due to take place this year under a deal whereby Kabila would leave office, but repeated wrangling has hobbled the process. Jean-Noël Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. People here in the Democratic Republic of Congo and abroad have been waiting so long for these electoral dates to be published in order to know more about this country's electoral process. 
The Independent National Electoral Commission has finally released the calendar, scheduling three elections including the presidential and both national and provincial parliamentary on December 23, 2018. According to that calendar, the presidential results will be published on January 9, 2019 for the new president replacing Joseph Kabila to be sworn in on January 13. Several other elections including senatorial and local are scheduled in 2019 as well. But this calendar's feasibility is subject to some constraints according to the Electoral Commission, the President Cornel Nanga. We have to mention that visibility and legibility of solutions to financial, logistic, security and legal constraints are the security holder of the full implementation of this calendar. We then rely on the goodwill of stakeholders and several partners who promised that each would play his role. And as far as such constraints are concerned, some of these countries' political actors from the opposition believe the Independent National Electoral Commission is not the one to blame since it's not really an independent institution. One of those actors, Albert Emmanuel Molekanzoko from the UDPS Kibasa, believes the calendar doesn't reflect the election's feasibility since President Joseph Kabila is not ready to leave power. When you look at the election in 2006, for instance, the international community financed 500 or 600 million dollars of the budget. And uh, the Electoral Commission had uh, at uh, its disposal almost 100 aircrafts. We cannot ask miracles from CENI because the Electoral Commission depends on the government and that government depends on Mr. Kabila and Mr. Kabila doesn't want to leave. So, you know, we are in a vicious circle. The main problem in DRC, if you take the vicious circle as a snake who is biting his tail, where is the head and where is the tail? The electoral calendar has been published while the voter registration in the Kasai region is still underway. Around 43 million voters have been registered in the whole Democratic Republic of Congo. But the opposition rally has looked at the publication of the electoral debts as a non-event. The rally spokesperson, Augustin Kabuya, has described the newly released electoral calendar as a simple pastime. We are not part of that pastime. Mr. Nanga has done this to laugh at our people, and it's a real provocation of our people, because what he has done has nothing to do with the wish of this population. We don't trust Mr. Nanga since he's working for Mr. Kabila and he's trying his best to maintain Mr. Joseph Kabila on power. The newly released electoral calendar has come only two days after the apostolic nuncio met with the Independent National Electoral Commission's management. The American native bishop Oscar Kento described their discussion as a very frank one and told the Channel Africa he'll continue advocating for peace and justice as far as power transfer is concerned here. Has presented to us uh, many of the difficulties that they have encountered over the past couple of years. I will continue to be in touch with Senko. I am not a Congolese. I am an American and I am a bishop. And so my work is to support the work of Senko.
people, but also to advocate for justice and for peace in this transfer of power in the Congo with our own government in the United States. We want to emphasize elements of the St. Sylvester Accord, that those be in place, and I think that the international community will be happy. Up to Sani, that it, to work with Senko and with opposition parties and the government to come together and to agree in a calendar. Several other reactions have followed the electoral calendar's release and indeed most of people here remain reluctant and do not believe elections will be held even in December 2018. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe has fired his first Vice President Emerson Mnagagwa, Information Minister Solomon Solomon Kaya Moyo read a statement at a media briefing saying Mnagagwa has been disloyal, deceitful, disrespectful and unreliable. This ends weeks of speculation following a month-long fallout. Ntakwanangadane reports. Saturday 12 August, Zimbabwe's first Vice President Emerson Mnangagwa vomits at a rally in Gwanda. He is airlifted and eventually admitted to a Johannesburg hospital. Reports were rife at the time that it was after he had eaten ice cream from a dairy owned by the Mugabes. Three weeks later, 1 September, President Robert Mugabe dismissed the allegations. He says there was no food poisoning. Another month passed and on October 5, Mnangagwa broke his silence, saying for the first time since the incident that he, in fact, was poisoned. During the briefing with His Excellency, the President Robert R. G. Mugabe, the medical doctors who attended to me ruled out food poisoning, but confirmed that indeed poisoning had occurred and that investigations were still in progress. This revelation escalated tensions and second vice president, Pelekezela Mpoko said Mnangagwa had done an about 10 because he himself had earlier confirmed to a ZANU-PF Central Committee meeting that he was not poisoned. Mpoko questioned Mnangagwa's claims, accused him of undermining the authority of President Mugabe, destabilizing the country and using lies to fan ethnic tensions for political purposes. But Mnangagwa hit back at Mpoko, said he was malicious, disrespectful and contemptuous. The statement is bent on causing alarm, disunity and despondence amongst peace-loving Zimbabweans. I have an impeccable history of unflinching loyalty to the party and His Excellency the President, Commander Jim Gabe. From that point, it was clear that gloves were off. No ZANU-PF rallies or meetings ended without something being said about Mnangagwa, mostly by First Lady Grace Mugabe. The following Saturday, President Robert Mugabe spoke to a ZANU-PF National Youth League meeting where he was expected to address the infighting. Our differences are discussed in-house. They are ours. They don't belong to the outside. At that same meeting, he hinted at a cabinet reshuffle. Although we appointed some people to certain positions, did they live up to the calling of those positions and next week there might be some changes in government and the following monday october 9 
Emerson Mnangagwa was dropped from the Justice, Legal and Parliamentary Affairs Ministry. Mnangagwa was not spared when President Mugabe announced he wants those convicted of murder and raping minors to be executed. He said, I say they must be killed. My first deputy Mnangagwa says let's have mercy and second vice president Mpoko has not spoken. So when the Mugabe's went to Bulawayo this past weekend, expectations were that more accusations about Mnangagwa dividing the party would happen and those expectations were met. But this time, Mnangagwa supporters were at hand to defend his honor. They booed the first lady. The only man who is ruling this country is the president, Mugabe. Period. She says, if you have been paid to boo me, go ahead, I don't care. I am the first lady and I will stand for the truth. It is at that meeting where Grace Mugabe made known who she thought should be vice president. And one of the vice presidents shall be a woman. And President Mugabe told the booing party members that they should prepare to form their own party. He said he believed they were insulted in the name of Nangagwa and if he made a mistake appointing him, then he will drop him tomorrow. To boo the first lady. To hell with you. We'll kick you out through your patriotism. Out. As Zimbabwe waited for the big announcement on Monday, ZANU-PF Youth League Secretary Kuzai Chipanga revealed they were endorsing First Lady Grace Mugabe for Vice President. Later in the day, ZANU-PF Women's League said it too is not backing down. It wants Grace Mugabe for Vice President. The government called the media to a 4 p.m. briefing and Information Minister Simon Moyo dropped the expected bombshell. His Excellency the President, Comrade Araji Mugabe, has exercised his powers to relieve Honorable Vice President Idi Nangawa of his position as Vice President of the Republic of Zimbabwe with immediate effect. The Vice President has consistently and persistently exhibited traits of disloyalty, disrespect, deceitfulness and unreliability. Mnangagwa may be fired as Vice President of the country, but he remains Vice President of ZANU-PF. His removal from the party can only be done by a Congress scheduled for December. But first vice president is the person who takes over when the president is out of the country or in case of an emergency. For now, that person will be second vice president Pelekezela Mpoko. But should Grace Mugabe be first vice president as the youth and women's leagues wish, then she will run the country in the absence of the president. She will also be a step closer to succeed President Mugabe as party leader and the next president of the country if ZANU-PF wins the 2018 elections. I'm Takwana Ngatani in Johannesburg. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, 
views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's 8.20 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Group B streptococcus or GBS infection causes an estimated 150,000 preventable stillbirths and infant deaths every year. This is according to a new study led by the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and involving more than 100 researchers from around the world. Researchers are reporting the global scale of this deadly bacterium for the first time. To better understand GBS disease, we are now joined on the line by Shabir Madi, Professor of Vaccinology at the University of Witwatersrand here in Johannesburg. Prof, good morning and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, good morning, Lori, and thanks for having me. Firstly, what exactly is GBS and how does it manifest itself in pregnant women? Okay, so GBS is a bacteria, and it's a bacteria that's commonly found in the vagina as well as in the, as well as in the rectum, uh, especially of adults, including of pregnant women. So what usually the, the bacteria itself usually colonizes mother who generally remain asymptomatic. A few mothers can go on to develop uh, the disease from the GBS itself, including urinary tract infections. But what's of particular concern of us is the propensity for the bacteria to actually enter into the uterus when the fetus is still developing. And in doing so, as uh, you mentioned, what it could cause is for the mother to actually have a stillbirth or alternatives for a baby to be born and for the baby to have a serious bacterial infection in the blood as well as possibly around the brain. Uh, so basically, it colonizes the mother and is able to then translocate into the uterus, into the uterine cavity, infect the fetus and cause the fetus to die or to develop severe disease when the, fetus, when the newborn is born. Now, Prof, let's speak about it's been over many, many years where women have, uh, some women have unfortunately, um, uh, you know, had stillbirths or, um, you know, they not made it through um, full-term pregnancy. Why only now is this research done or is this available was has this not been um in 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 the domain or is it something that has just come up or that has just been discovered why the 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 research now after so many years of of uh, you know a lot of pregnancies having gone wrong yeah so that's a really good question and unfortunately when it comes to stillbirth it's a public health uh disease which has largely been neglected. So each year there's about 2.6 million women that would actually give birth to a stillbirth, uh, which is pretty much a really high number. And the majority of those stillbirths are taking place in low-income countries. Almost half of the stillbirths are taking place in Africa. 
Uh, unfortunately, the, the type of attention that's been paid to, as an example, HIV and TB hasn't been the same when it comes to stillbirth. So it's, it's a public problem that's largely been, been neglected, and it's something which is really only coming to the fore now. So you are correct. It is something that has been with us for a long time, uh, and it's only recently that there's more investment in terms of understanding what the causes of the stillbirth are. And what this particular study shows is that GBS, in fact, is a common contributor to the stillbirth. It's not the only bacteria which causes stillbirth, but it's one of the common bacteria that causes at least 5 to 10% of all stillbirths that occur. What sort of treatment is currently available for GBS? So the type of treatment that's available is really treatment that's more geared towards preventing the newborns of uh, mothers from developing GBS. So if the mother is known to be colonized, where we usually uh, test the mothers between 35 to 37 weeks of gestational age for colonization, if they're found to be colonized, then it's recommended that they receive antibiotics during labor. Unfortunately, that sort of a strategy is not actually uh, practical or feasible in most low-income countries because it requires a fair amount of resources to implement. So it is something which has been successful in high-income countries, uh, but hasn't been implemented in low-income countries. Now, Prof, when you speak of... Sorry, Prof, just to come in there for for better understanding for um, uh, some of our listeners. Just explain what you mean when you say colonized. Okay, so when when I'm referring to colonization, like I mentioned before, GBS is commonly found in the rectum and in the vagina. So we refer to that as rectal-vaginal colonization. And up to one-third of pregnant women in Africa, as an example, would be colonized with GBS, which means that their fetus and their newborn are at least at some risk of actually developing invasive disease. So when we're talking of colonization, we're talking of the presence of the bacteria in the vagina or in the rectum of the mother. Thanks for that, Prof. Now, in terms of, uh, you mentioned that uh, a course of antibiotic, um, you know, uh, has to be taken uh, during the time of, of uh, is it giving birth or during the time of the pregnancy? No, so the, the antibiotic needs to be uh, given during the time of labor. Of so labor. Given at least four hours baby, yeah, and at least four hours before the baby is born to protect the baby from developing, being born with invasive disease. Unfortunately, that sort of a strategy won't necessarily prevent stillbirth from GBS. So we need to have some other sort of an intervention that would be more effective in both preventing stillbirth as well as uh, preventing disease in the newborn. And the only strategy that has got potential to be able to achieve that is a vaccine, a vaccine being developed which is administered to pregnant women. And in doing so, what we're able to do is get the mother to produce antibodies and that antibody then is transferred over to the fetus and protects the fetus from developing disease should the fetus come into contact with the GBS. So currently we're working on a vaccine, trying to develop vaccines, which would be targeted at the pregnant woman themselves. Now, Prof, how long will this uh, the process of uh, developing this vaccine take? And uh, you mentioned the fact that GBS is not the only uh, um, um, cause of stillbirths. And with the vaccine that is in development, will this also assist in the other, uh, um, you know, bacterium or, or causes of stillbirths going forward? 
Yeah, so unfortunately the vaccine has been developed for GBS to specifically target that bacteria and won't prevent other bacterial causes of stillbirth. As an example, another bacteria is known as E. coli or Enterobacter, which are the common causes of stillbirth. So the vaccine will be specific to GBS. But it's only more recently that we're beginning to understand the role of bacteria as a cause of stillbirth in settings such as Africa. So I think what's going to evolve over the period of the next uh, five to ten years is a greater interest in developing other vaccines, again targeted at other bacteria that are also contributing to stillbirth. Uh, that being said, I think another important matter is uh, one of the other findings that we've had in another study is the role of influenza virus uh, in pregnant women in terms of causing stillbirth. So if a mother becomes infected with influenza during pregnancy, they have they, the likelihood of them actually of them actually having a stillbirth is about 20% higher than a mother that's actually protected from influenza influenza during pregnancy. So influenza infection of pregnant women also results in stillbirth. As another example, uh, but in the case of GBS, as I mentioned, the vaccine that's currently being developed is specifically targeted. At GBS and not at other bacteria or viruses that are also associated with stillbirth. Now, Prof, in wrapping up, uh, what sort of time frames are you looking at with regards to the de- development and the final phase where um, the vaccine is then filtered through into the marketplace? Okay. So, unfortunately, vaccine development, and especially when we're looking at vaccine development for pregnant women, it's a somewhat uh, laborious process because uh, one of the major factors that we need to take into account is the safety of the vaccine before we're able to actually deploy the vaccine or even try it out in large-scale studies. So in terms of timelines, we're probably looking at a minimum of a five-year timeline uh, before the vaccine development will be complete uh, and probably another two or three years after that before the vaccine is actually licensed for use in the general public. So we're looking at a timeline of between five to ten years in terms of vaccine development for GBS. Prof, thank you so much for joining us. We'll have to leave it there for now. Okay, thanks a lot. That was uh, Shabir Mahdi, Professor of Vaccinology at Wits University here in Johannesburg. It is 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebat, on Channel Africa from an African perspective.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF Women's League and the Youth League press ahead for Grace Mugabe to be appointed vice president now that Emerson Mnangagwa has been fired from the position. Botswana's president Ian Khama reaffirms the country's support for the International Criminal Court as he delivers his last State of the Nation address in the capital, Khabarone. And Sudanese President Umar al-Bashir says it's time to shut camps hosting millions of displaced people from the conflict in Darfur as the war in the region has ended. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Let's go back in time to today in... 1997, Kenya's President Daniel Arab Moy signs a package of reforms aimed at making Kenya a multi-party democracy. That's today in history in the year 1997. Botswana has reaffirmed its support for the International Criminal Court, which some African states, such as South Africa, have accused of only prosecuting African presidents. President Ian Kama delivered his last State of the Nation address in the capital, Khaburoni, yesterday. He says his country remains determined to participate on the international issues and through the African Union, SADC and UN guidelines to assist where there's a need for humanitarian support. Kama will hand over the presidency to his second-in-command, Mohitsi Masisi, in March next year. Itumelen Khajan reports. As the Lieutenant General of the Botswana Defense Force readies himself to bow out, the nation waited in anticipation to hear what his presidency achieved and what were its setbacks. He says under his watch, Botswana continued to be one of the continent's most stable economies. He also says his country is counted among the best in terms of good governance and says they have made strides in trying to improve their education system. Kama says diversification of the economy was not only a dream during his presidency, but work has already begun to look at other sectors to contribute immensely to the gross domestic product. And then Kama bravely emphasized that his country continues to support the International Criminal Court, which many of his country's neighbors have been complaining about. Kama says this is against the background that many countries commit atrocities against their citizens and cannot be law unto themselves. In order to demonstrate our unequivocal support for the work of the ICC, Botswana recently undertook a significant step by domesticating the Rome Statute and thus making it part of our national laws. Opposition parties in Botswana have, however, poured cold water on Kama's claims that his administration has done wonders. Pino Butale of the newly formed Alliance for Progressives. What one expected of this uh, uh, State of the Nation address being the last one uh, was 
for the president to take an opportunity now to evaluate uh, how, the successes of his, of, his, of his government, where he believes that uh, he has failed and why he believes he failed, and how the nation can then go forward. Uh, what we see is a president that uh, you know, consistently uh, wants to be the bearer of only good news. He doesn't talk to the challenges of the nation. President of the main opposition, the Umbrella for Democratic Change, Duma Boko, has also lambasted Kama, saying he abandoned critical meetings of the international bodies, thus rendering Botswana an absent member of the international community. He has been missing in action from those four, and so he has served to diminish our stature and contribution to the African Union, to the, the United Nations, and so we... We look forward to a time when we will have some more serious leadership that will place us back front and center in international issues and international relations. The United Nations Security Council could not escape Kamas wrath. He says it remains silent on humanitarian crises plaguing other parts of Africa, as some member states are the ones perpetrating those atrocities. He has pleaded with Botswana to support his vice, Mokhezi Masisi, when he ascends the top seat. I'm confident with the support of members of this house and the nation as a whole, the next administration will continue to build on the progress that was begun under my predecessors. Though Botswana is said to be amongst the least corrupt countries in the world, Kama says his administration has been battling corruption in certain quarters. Amitu Melenkhajani in Khaburone, Botswana. South Africa's Deputy President Sil Ramaphosa says his comments at the weekend were not meant to prescribe for the ANC branch delegates which candidates to nominate for the party's elective positions. Addressing a rally on Sunday, Ramaphosa announced his preferred top six officials, which included NEC member Naledi Pando, as his preferred candidate for ANC deputy president. This has angered the ANC, which has issued a statement reiterating that so-called slate politics are outlawed as they undermine the branch's inalienable right to nominate their preferred candidates. But as Ndebo Mukoba reports, Ramaphosa says his views are reflective of what the branches are saying and not what he wants. The ANC leadership contest took a turn at the weekend when for the first time a presidential hopeful publicly announced his preferred choice for the party's top six officials at the elective conference. Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa announced some of his favorites to be included in the ANC top six positions. Comrade Gwede Mantashe, Abe National Chairperson, Warena wa ANC. Rere Arizo Lempele, Resapote Comrade Paul Mashatile, Abe Treasurer General, wa African National Congress. And this has angered the ANC, which urged all those vying for the party's top job to refrain from pronouncing on a lineup or a slate of candidates to be elected as party officials at its national elective conference next month.
Zizi Kotwa says such conduct undermines the branch's inalienable right to nominate candidates. This is against the spirit and the resolutions of the National General Council of 2015, where we reaffirmed the centrality of the branch of the ANC when it comes to nomination and election of leadership. And therefore, we call on all those presidential aspirants that they must do that within the parameters that does not undermine the integrity and the credibility of the ANC processes. Election of ANC leadership is a sole reserve of the branches of the ANC. Nobody must usurp the powers of the branches of the African National Congress. But Ramaphosa has since noted the concerns raised by the Office of the ANC Secretary General. In a statement from his office, the ANC second in command says he was just expressing what party structures are saying and that he was not prescribing to branch delegates who to nominate. The names I mentioned for leadership positions arose from interactions and nominations emerging from ANC structures and should be understood in that context. The views I expressed are by no means prescriptive and do not displace the right of branches to nominate their preferred candidates for any position of ANC leadership. The ANC deputy president also reaffirmed the centrality of the role of ANC branch members as the electoral college for all elective positions in the ANC. I am Tebu Mokobe in Johannesburg. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.40 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Now let's go back in time to today in 1962. Nelson Mandela is sentenced to five years in prison for incitement and leaving South Africa illegally. Mandela was smuggled out of South Africa to speak at an African Freedom Conference in Addis Ababa and he was identified as the mouthpiece and mastermind behind a call for a national strike and the formation of Umkondowe Sizwe, MK. That's today in history in the year 1962. A delegation of 14 South Africans leaders in various capacities has concluded one week, a one-week tour of Rwanda. The team believes the trip has been fruitful, especially in the agricultural sector, and vows to replicate Rwanda's method of using optimally small land available for huge yields. Silvanus Karamera reports from Kigali. While in Rwanda, the South African delegation visited various areas of the country's development for the first-hand information on how best Rwanda has implemented its ambitious strategy of homegrown solutions for its challenges. One of these strategies is one that has received international accolade, among which the respective South African delegation members are eager to replicate back home. This is Queen Kosugati Gangolero Moroka from Free State in South Africa. But the main problem that you have come here for is this of one cow, one household, one cow, which we want to implement when we go back to South Africa. And we'll come back again to see if we have reached our goal. And we hope the Rwandans will also visit our uh, country to see what we are doing. We do have these uh, gardens, vegetable gardens, 
that we see here, but here they are massive. And it's surprising that even on the hill you can make gardens. That really surprised us. And it's a lesson that we have learned. Rwanda has consistently hit international headlines as an emerging economy in Africa, demystifying its tragic history 23 years ago after the genocide. Today, foreign companies are planting their branches here and the country is on the right track in setting up homegrown solutions for its economic challenges. The South African head of delegation, Upa Kobane, says he and others have learned the important lesson of seeking homegrown solutions first and that this should be emulated on the African continent level. But what is it that you have to learn from Rwanda? Homegrown solutions. As, as all African nations, we need to come to Rwanda. We need to learn the methods and, and the uh, dedication of, of, you know, as a nation, if you want to develop, look at the, the resources that you have. Use them optimally to move forward and to develop your nation. And this is exactly what you learn from Rwanda. And when you come to, 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 to Rwanda, you can see that with the, 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 the limited land resources available, uh, everyone, everyone is trying to ensure that we make optimal use of that land. And, and those are the challenges that we are facing in South Africa. Now do we ensure that we maximize production by, by ensuring that we make use of the land that we have optimally. The delegation arrived here in the country on Monday last week and concluded its trip over the weekend. For many, the trip was a sign of a diplomatic revival a few years after the two countries got into a diplomatic sour. Silvanus Kalemera, reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Let's go back in time to today in 1988. Mother Teresa arrives in South Africa to establish a missionary home for HIV-AIDS sufferers in Kailicha. In 1979, Mother Teresa was awarded with the Nobel Peace Prize and in 1980, she received the Bharat Ratna, the highest civilian honor in India for her humanitarian work. That's today in history in the year 1988. It's 8.45 and our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhuku. Thanks Lulu and good morning. The latest Confederation of Zimbabwe Industry Manufacturing Sector Survey suggests that Zimbabwean manufacturing companies are now operating at a lower capacity utilization than they were last year. According to the survey released last week, the weighted capacity utilization for Zimbabwean manufacturers has gone down by 2.3 percentage points to 45.1% from 47.4% in the prior comparative year. The survey results, which were presented by the Confederation of Zimbabwe Industries Chief Economist, Daphne Mazambani, also showed that most companies were struggling in accessing foreign currency. The recently concluded Global Nutrition Summit held in Milan, Italy, 
had convened governments, international agencies, foundations, civil society organizations and businesses to accelerate the global response to malnutrition. Malnutrition is said to be an underlying cause of nearly half of all global child deaths. A major highlight of the summit was the pledge by the Aliko Dangoti Foundation to invest 100 million US dollars over five years to tackle malnutrition in the West affected parts of Nigeria. The foundation is the philanthropic organization of Aliko Dangoti, founder and executive chair of the Dangoti Group, Africa's largest homegrown conglomerate. The governments of Ethiopia, Cote d'Ivoire, Burkina Faso and Zambia all made commitments to expand their nutrition programs and the summit succeeded in galvanizing $3.4 billion. South African lender Fizrand has agreed a $1.3 billion US dollar takeover of British banking newcomer Aldemore Group to boost its business in developed markets. The 313 pence per share offer represents a 22.3% premium to Aldemore's closing price of 245 pence on October the 12th, the day before the companies announced the win talks. Aldemore is one of the group of the so-called challenger banks that emerged after the financial crisis to fill a gap in small business lending and capitalize on problems at bigger lenders such as Royal Bank of Scotland and Lloyd's. The leaked documents, known as Paradise Papers, show that Apple started looking for a new tax haven after Ireland had to close the arrangement the technology giant had used to pay negligible taxes on its international profits. There is nothing illegal in what Apple has done, but its tax arrangements have been criticized by United States and European Union authorities. The BBC's Andrew Walker reports. Apple channeled the revenue it received outside the U.S. through companies in Ireland in a way that greatly reduced its liability for corporation tax. The arrangement was attacked by the European Union in 2013 and the Irish government decided to close down what was widely seen as a loophole. The Paradise Papers show the following year Apple looked for alternative jurisdictions and one of the questions its legal advisers sought to answer was whether it was possible to get official assurances of a tax exemption. The company chose Jersey. An international fishing company which partnered 12 highly connected Namibians, including politicians and a retired military generals, is at the center of allegations that it has been cheating on taxes in Namibia. Global fish trader Pacific Andes, which specializes in the processing, distribution and sales of seafood products, is registered in Bermuda in the Caribbean. The company, controlled by the Malaysian NG family, was formed by Malaysian-Chinese businessman Angie Suihong in 1986. The U.S. dollar trades at 14.17 in South Africa, it's at 10.3 in Botswana, and at 10.47 in Zambia. It's also trading at 76 pence to the British pound, 86 cents to the euro. Gold one thousand two seven two dollars platinum nine one nine dollars an ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at uh, $62.45 a barrel. I'm Tabisolo Hoko for Channel Africa. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati.
First up in our sports update, it's our we begin with rugby news. Springbok coach Alistair Kutsia has singled out Ireland halfbacks Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray as the major threat when the sides meet at Lansdowne Road on Saturday. The Springboks arrived in Dublin yesterday for the first leg of a tour that also includes tests against France in Paris, Italy in Padua and Wales in Cardiff. Ireland's halfbacks were also the starting pair for the British and Irish Lions against the All Blacks in June. That series ended one all, and both Sexton and Murray were influential figures in the drawn series. Murray's ability to land pinpoint up and unders on opposing defenders is a key element of the Irish game, while Sexton has kicking accuracy from the tee and from hand, which also causes major problems. The coach also confirmed that Captain Eben Edsbeth has passed a fitness test on a twisted ankle and will be available for selection this weekend. On to football news, Bafana Bafana's captain Tulan Shachwayo is carrying a toe injury and will be assessed and managed throughout the camp before the 2018 FIFA World Cup qualifier against Senegal in a Group D game at Piramukaba Stadium on Friday. The biggest injury news involving Kaiser Chiefs goalkeeper Idu Melenkune is that he's going to see a specialist today morning in Johannesburg. Bafana team Dr. Tulan Ngwenya says only then would he be able to give a proper prognosis on Kune's availability. Unfortunately, when it comes to medicine, we deal with evidence and facts. So we are, we are, as a team and uh, technical staff, we are hopeful, but we will never comment as to whether he'll, he'll be fit or not, because until, up until we know the action, the actual results. Because we got information that the fracture is not displaced, which gives about hope, but we're not sure of the extent of the actual fracture. Coach Stuart Baxter admits he's worried about injuries to key players, although his confidence is in his whole squad. We have our challenges to get players in from Europe when they've probably played the evening that they should be travelling. They can't get a flight, so they wait till the next day, and then if there's any delays on that flight, they're missing a session where you thought they'd be in. Those are the frustrations. You've got I think there's two things that have got that have got to be sharpened up, and that's one, the players the players have got to be more proactive in terms of making sure that they do everything they can to get to camp on time, and two, the association have also got to be proactive in contact with their clubs, booking booking tickets, you know, making sure that people know well in advance. As, as, as sharply as we can so I think that's the only way we can, we, can, uh, we can move forward but I think it would be very nice if we can take away this const- constant frustration of not having everybody here on time and I'm not accusing anybody in that, I'm just saying that that's, that's a challenge that South African football has maybe, maybe Senegal fo- Senegalese football has the same thing, I don't know but I'm more, con- I'm more, more concerned of how can we move positions forward, how can we improve our preparation and how can we get more out of the time we spend with the players? Well, we've got 16. We've got 16 here today. I think of the delays. I think there's probably about four or five that we thought that we thought we'd been here earlier. We have 16 players on camp now. No, sorry, plus two keepers, so it's 18. 
Finally, Gary Player has been inducted into the South African Hall of Fame at a ceremony at Sun City. The ceremony was last night dubbed the Night of Hope as Player was nicknamed throughout his career as the Black Knight for the color of the clothing he always wore. Being inducted into this Hall of Fame means so much to me. When you struggle and you were poor and you didn't have much as a young person in your life, you develop a sense of gratitude and appreciation and that's what I have to say to the people thank you much for I appreciate you inducting me into this Hall of Fame. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe fires his deputy. A DRC sets elections for December 2018. And Botswana's President Ian Kama delivers his final State of a Nation address. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutora Magaza and Khomuto Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info@channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. And taking us to the top of the hour, for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Mikasa with a song titled Nana. Won't you please forgive me? Would 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 you please forgive me?
Good morning and welcome to Channel Africa, broadcasting to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. First, let's cross over to the news desk for the latest news from Africa and abroad. In the headlines, Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF Women's League and the Youth League press ahead for First Lady Grace Mugabe to be appointed Vice President after Emerson Mnangagwa was fired. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa says his comments at the weekend were not meant to prescribe for the ruling ANC branches, which candidates to nominate for the party's elective position. And Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir says it's time to shut camps hosting millions of displaced people from the conflict in Darfur. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF Women's League and the Youth League are pressing ahead for First Lady Grace Mugabe to be appointed Vice President now that Emerson Nangagwa has been fired from the position. The widely expected move comes after Mugabe strongly criticised Grace Mugabe strongly criticised Nangagwa at the weekend. The First Lady has been positioning herself as a possible successor to a 93-year-old husband. Zimbabwe Information Minister Simon Moya announced Mnangagwa's axing. His Excellency the President, Comrade Araji Mugabe, has exercised his powers to relieve Honorable Vice President Edi Mnangagwa of his position as Vice President of the Republic of Zimbabwe with immediate effect. It yet become evident that his conduct in the discharge of his duties had become inconsistent with his official responsibilities. Botswana has reaffirmed its support for the International Criminal Court. President Ian Khama delivered his last State of the Nation address in the capital, Khabarone, saying his country remains determined to participate on international issues and through the African Union, SEDEC and United Nations guidelines to assist where there is a need for humanitarian support. Khama will hand over the presidency to his second-in-command in March next year. It's tradition in the landlocked country that the president of the state gives his deputy the reins a year before the general elections. Khama explains. I wish to retreat Botswana's strong support for the International Criminal Court, which is the only permanent criminal international court of last resort that plays a deterrent role in preventing the commission of genocide, war crimes, and general crimes against humanity. In order to demonstrate our, our unequivocal support for the work of the ICC, Botswana recently undertook a significant step by domesticating the Rome Statute and thus making it part of our national laws. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa says his comments at the weekend were not meant to prescribe for the ruling ANC branches, 
which candidates to nominate for the party's elective positions. Addressing a rally at the weekend, Ramaphosa announced his preferred top six, including the National Executive Committee member Naledi Pando, as his preferred candidate for ANC Deputy President. This has angered the ANC, which issued a statement reiterating that so-called slate politics are outlawed as they undermine the branch's right to nominate their preferred candidates. But Ramaphosa says his views are reflective of what the branches are saying and not what he wants. Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir says it's time to shut camps hosting millions of displaced people from conflict in Darfur as the war in the region has ended. Al-Bashir wanted by the Hague-based International Criminal Court for Genocide and war crimes related to the Darfur conflict says internally displaced people known as IDPs should return to their villages and not stay in camps anymore. He alleges that the IDP camps have become business ventures for foreign aid groups. Uh, President al-Bashir has regularly criticized criticized foreign aid organizations and in 2009 he expelled several that were operating in Darfur. South Sudan's hunger crisis is set to continue despite a drop in those suffering severe food insecurity across the country. That's according to the updated Integrated Food Security Phase classification that's released by the government of South Sudan, United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. UNICEF, World Food Programme and other humanitarian partners, almost 5 million people, close to half the population of Sudan, are classified as severely food insecure. Recapping the top stories, Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF Women's League and the Youth League press ahead for the First Lady Grace Mugabe to be appointed Vice President after Emerson Mnangagwa was fired. South Africa's Deputy President, Sir Ramaphosa.